Go ahead and open your Bible to Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and 23. That should be 893 if you have a pew Bible. It says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, goodness. Long, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. title of the message tonight is the fruit of the Spirit, faithfulness. Let's pray. Father, we love you tonight. You are great and awesome and worthy of our praise and worthy of our devotion. God, us tonight, make us aware of your presence. Help us as we look at your word. We would take from it what we need. Let us to grow in our faithfulness. That we would be a people, Lord, who who are true to our word and are true to you and are faithful in all the areas of our life that you would want us to be faithful in. Take what we learned tonight and Lord, let your spirit apply it to us and bring change where it's needed. Strengthen us to encourage us, to help us. Fill me tonight with your Holy Spirit. Give me clarity of thought and clarity of speech. Have your way in our hearts and lives, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, the King James translates this part of the fruit of the Spirit as faith, but as I was studying today, virtually every other translation of Scripture uses the word faithfulness. And so I'm going to go with that for the service. Now, faithfulness, as it's meant here, it means trustworthy, it means loyal, uh, thorough in performance of duty, and steadfast in a devotion and allegiance. Faithful people do what they say they're going to do. They take their commitment seriously, and they don't give up on completing it just because it gets hard. Now, this sort of faithfulness, it's true of every area of their lives, whether it has to do with their service and devotion to Jesus or anything else. Truly faithful people are faithful in all things, not just some things. And in my mind, this is what makes faithfulness so challenging. Most people are faithful in some things, but very few people are faithful in all things. And the type of faithfulness the Holy Spirit wants to produce in our life is not a faithfulness that will make us faithful in one or two things, but a faithfulness that will make us faithful in all things. That we will keep our word, we will do what we say, we will be steadfast, loyal, unto the end. Uh, several truths about faithfulness we need to know in general. First is, faithfulness is a characteristic of God. As with all the parts of the fruit of the Spirit, faithfulness is a trait that is a characteristic of God. And, and this is important for us to know, because as the children of God, we are meant to represent our Father well. We are meant to be a demonstration of His character and His nature in some ways to the world around us. And this means we must be faithful as our God is faithful. Now, when we talk about God being faithful, there's actually more than what we could look at for tonight, but there's several ways God's faithfulness is seen. That God is faithful to keep His Word. In my mind, this was I started here because this was the most important aspect of God's faithfulness. Because everything we know about who God is and what God is like and what God has said He would do is revealed in His Word. Everything we hope for, everything we, we want God to do, everything we think God is going to do, everything we trust that God has promised to do, we know from His Word. And if God is not 100% faithful to keep His Word, our hope for anything is shaky at best. Thankfully, Scripture teaches that God is faithful to keep His Word. The author of Hebrews says, Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for He is faithful that promise. Now, 
I like that verse because there's a lot of verses talking about God being faithful to his word. I like that one because it's written in the context of struggles and trials. It's written in the context of encouraging someone when they may be discouraged and their faith may be weak. And what the author of Hebrews is saying is don't give up. Keep on going. Trust in the promises of God and trust them because God is faithful. Right? God will do what He has said He will do. That is 100% accurate 100% of the time. God is faithful to keep His Word. And we, we must be aware of that. We must be glad of that. Because again, everything else is built upon that. Right? So, for instance, God is faithful to forgive our sins. Now we have all probably benefited from this area of God's faithfulness multiple times over. But how do we know? That God is faithful to forgive our sins. How do we know that we won't go to the well one too many times? Or we won't sin in a way that is entirely too much and God will never forgive us again? Because God's word says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Right? So God is faithful to keep his word. Therefore, I can trust that God will forgive my sins. And, and what's great about this verse is we use this a lot of times in evangelism. We tell a lost person, if you confess your sins, God is faithful and just to forgive you. That's a true statement. That's not at all inappropriate to do. But the context of 1 John is not written to unbelievers in an effort to get them to repent of their sins and believe in Jesus Christ. The content of 1 John is writing to believers. He's writing that they may not sin, but if they do sin, that they will know that there is someone on their behalf. There is hope. And they can turn to Jesus. And the only stipulation on forgiveness is that we, we confess. Now confession, in the Bible it means saying the same thing. Right? So it's more than saying, God, I sinned. It is saying what God says about our sin. Right? So God says our sin is our fault. Always. God says our sin is serious. Always. God says our sin is against Him. Always. So if I go to God and I say, God, I sinned. This was my fault. I know I have sinned against you. And this sin is serious. Then God is faithful. I have a promise from God that He is faithful and He is just. And He will forgive my sins and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. And restore me back to my sonship and my relationship with Him. God is faithful. To forgive our sins. God is faithful even if we're not. Right? As, as flawed human beings, we are going to fail at times. Right? God is 100% faithful 100% of the time. You're not. And neither am I. And we don't know anyone that is 100% faithful 100% of the time. That means we are going to fail one another at times. But we are also going to fail in our faithfulness to God. Have you ever sinned and then confessed to God and said something along the lines, God, I hate this. I'm never going to do that again. And then did it again. Have you ever said, God, I missed this opportunity to share the gospel with this guy. But if you give me one more opportunity, I'm going to take it. And the opportunity comes and you didn't take it. Have you ever said, I'm going to pray more. I'm going to start getting up early and praying every day. And then you didn't. 
Have you ever said, I'm going to read my Bible, I'm going to read through the Bible every year. And then for one reason or another, you don't. But on and on it goes. We say, I'm going to do this. We make these commitments to God, and then we don't follow through because we cannot be 100% faithful. Yet, what happens is, when we are unfaithful, our fear is, God will give up on us. God will toss us aside. And yet, Scripture affirms that if we believe not, and in other translations it says, if we are unfaithful, yet He abideth faithful. Man, here's the great news. God's faithfulness is not bound up in our faithfulness. God's faithfulness is not dependent on our faithfulness. God is faithful. Independent of our performance. Independent of our character. Independent of what we do. God's faithfulness is not limited by our faithlessness. Now this, of course, doesn't give us a license to sin. And, and it shouldn't even really ease our consciences when we sin. That's, that, that burdening on our conscience, that should drive us to confess that sin. What this does is allow us, when I sin, when I fail to keep my promise to God, do what I said I would do, rather than giving up and going out and saying, that's it, I'm done. We get up, we go back to God, and we start over. Because God is faithful, even if I'm not. God is Faithful to help us in temptation. Temptation is something we all face. We may not all be tempted by the same issues, but we are all tempted. One of the easiest lies to believe at a time of temptation is, I have no choice. I can't help it. The situation was such that there was no way around it. I could not get out of it. I had to sin. Yet scripture tells us that we can always escape sin because our God is faithful. But there is no temptation taking you such as is common to man. But God is faithful who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able. But will with the temptation also make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. Now I've mentioned this verse many times and I always say I find it both comforting and convicting. It is comforting to know that God's faithfulness extends to my being able to live a holy life. But God wants me to flee temptation, to resist temptation, to choose holiness over sin. And so, my God ensures that I don't have to give in to sin. I'm never backed into a corner to such an extent the only option is sin to get out. There is comfort in knowing I can escape. I can choose not to sin in a moment of temptation because my God is faithful. But it's also convicting because it means that I could have chosen not to sin. I could have found that way out. I could have chosen holiness over sin. I, I could have made the right choice in that moment. It's also convicting because something we all want to believe is that our sins are, are so powerful, so unique to us that nobody else would ever understand. You just don't understand how I feel. You just don't understand what goes on in my heart. You just don't understand the pull I feel to this. And yet what the Bible says is no temptation has taken you but such as is common to man. That's common to man. It means that it doesn't mean we're all tempted exactly the same way. 
about the same things. But it means our temptations aren't unique. Our temptations aren't unique in that they are so strong we can't overcome them. Our temptations are not such that we are all people are the ones that have to give in to it. It's convicting. It's convicting to know that every time I sin, it is legitimately my fault. And that I could have found a way out. And that no matter how strong that temptation was, there are other Christians in the world tempted just like I am by the same power of that temptation and they escape. Our temptations are common to all people everywhere. And our faithful God ensures there is always a way out. There is always a way to resist it. There is always a way to say no. There is always a way to choose obedience over disobedience. Not because we're great, but because God is faithful. And He will make a way. He will strengthen us so that we can withstand it. Because again, notice what it says. Who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you're able. God will not allow the temptation to become so great we can't say no. And in the midst of that temptation, He will always provide a way out. The faithfulness of God ensures we can always overcome, we can always escape every temptation. Now, that's some of the ways that the Bible tells us God is faithful. Let me quickly give you some ways we are to be faithful. Right? We are to be faithful with God's Word. Scripture pictures us as as the gospel of scripture being a gift that is given to us and something that is committed to our care and we are to be faithful in how we handle it. Right? So Paul says, let, us so, let, let a man so account of us as ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Now, the mysteries of God would essentially be the scriptures, the gospel, um, the word of God. And we it is required in stewards that they be found faithful. So we have been entrusted with God's word. And as stewards, we must be faithful. Now, to me, this is kind of important for us to understand. The greatest requirement that we are to have regarding Scripture is that we are to be faithful to it. And faithfulness to Scripture is supremely important over the things that the world would have us believe we should be. Right? So, for instance, we're, we're, never, we're never told we have to be eloquent in explaining Scripture. But we are told to be faithful to Scripture. Right? We, we are never told we are required to be successful in sharing the Gospel. But we are told to be faithful to Scripture. We're never told that we're required to have all of the answers that someone may have at a given time. But we are told to be faithful to Scripture. We are simply required to be faithful with God's Word and faithful to God's Word. And this means that we cannot hold back or fail to share God's Word. If someone comes to us with A question. Biblical, moral, religious question. And we know it is not going to be the answer. And the Bible is not the answer they're going to want to hear. Our responsibility in that moment 
is to say what the Bible says. No matter how they're going to feel about it, no matter what they think about it, what matters is we are meant to be faithful to it. We, we cannot dilute God's Word to make it palatable to unbelieving minds. We, we cannot replace God's Word with our opinions. Well, the Bible says, but here's what I think. We can't replace the Bible with our politics, our preferences, or anything else. We have God's Word, and that's what we're required to give. So if someone comes and says, what do you think about this, or what does that mean? Or is this a sin? Or does everyone have to believe in Jesus? Or do unbelievers go to hell for real? The Bible gives answers to those sort of things. And our job as stewards of the mysteries of God is to be faithful in saying, Thus saith the word of God. And leave it with them to decide how they want to respond. If we are living spirit-filled, Spirit-led lives, we will be faithful with and to God's Word. We must be faithful with our spiritual gifts. We're all familiar with the idea that every believer has at least one spiritual gift. And when the Holy Spirit comes to live within us at salvation, He does something and He produces a gift within us. And we are meant to use the gift that God has given us. But Peter says... As every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same to one another as good stewards, the manifold grace of God. Now, he doesn't say faithful here. The word faithful is not actually used in this passage, but the implication is clear. Right? First, again, the idea is we are stewards. God has given us a gift. It's his gift, not ours. God has given it to us, and we are stewards of that gift. What's required of stewards? That they be faithful. Stewards are required to be faithful. So if I'm a steward of of the gift that God has given me, I am required to be faithful with it. And faithful with it requires that I use it. Because notice the wording. As you have received a gift, minister the same to one another. So that's the idea. You've been given this gift. Use it. You are God's steward of this gift. So use that gift. And then he just, that's kind of what he goes on to say. If If anyone ministers, let him, or if he speaks, speak as the oracles of God. Speak with God's word. If he ministers, do it with all of the ability that God gives. That in all things, God may be glorified. Right. So we are meant to be faithful with the gifts that God has given us. Now, one truth about our spiritual gifts is that we... Have to be the one to use them, right? We are in charge. Our faithfulness with our gifts are our responsibility. You cannot exercise the spiritual gifts God has given me. I cannot exercise the spiritual gifts God has given you. So if I'm going to be faithful with the gifts God has given me, I must do it. I must use them in the glory of God. You are to be faithful to the gifts God has given you. You must be faithful to use them for the glory of God. And if we are living spirit-filled, spirit-led lives, we will be faithful to use our spiritual gifts for the glory of God. We must be faithful to our word. 
Now, part of what, as I mentioned, a part of what it means to be faithful is that we do what we say we're going to do. In the Psalms, one of my favorite verses on this is in Psalm 15. And we're told characteristics of those who get to experience God's presence in their lives. And it is those in whom the eyes of a vile person is contemned. He, but he honoreth them that fear the Lord. And here's the key part for our part tonight. He that sweareth to his own hurt and changeth not. And the idea of swearing to your own hurt and changing not is keeping your word even when it's hard. I was looking at how some of the different translations say that the Christian Standard Bible um, says keep your word no matter what. Um, I think some say keep your word even if it hurts. Things along those lines. The picture is we keep our word whatever the cost. Right? I mean, if I say I'm going to do it, then to the dead level best of my abilities, I need to do it. Now, clearly there will be times where maybe we can't. Something would come up. If I say I'm going to come to your house and help you move your piano, as I walk out of the house, my car explodes, probably not going to make it. But that's not the same as when it's time to come to your house to move your piano, I decide I want to take a nap instead. And so I say, well, I just can't. I don't feel that I can't be there right now. I'm sorry. Those aren't the same things. Now, I think an implication of this is be careful when you give your word. Because according to the Bible, if I give you my word, I'm going to do something. Then even if it hurts me, even if it's difficult, even if it costs me something to do it, I have to do it. That, that's, that's what's required of me to be a faithful to God. So if I'm not sure I'm going to do something, I probably shouldn't give my word and make a promise if I'm not certain I'm going to do it. Because when, and we'll talk about judgment in a minute, but when we stand before the Lord and we give an account for our lives, part of what we're going to give an account for is, did I do what I said I would do? Did I swear to my own hurt and change not? Faithful people do what they say they're going to do. And if we are spirit-filled, spirit-led people, we will keep our words if humanly possible. At five, we must be faithful at our jobs. Faithfulness isn't just at what we might call spiritual things. We're also expected to be faithful at what we might call secular things, like our job. As I mentioned, faithfulness, it affects every area of our lives. One of the best examples of this is the prophet Daniel. So this Daniel was preferred among the presidents and princes because an excellent spirit was in him, and the king thought to set him over the whole realm. The presidents and princes sought to find occasion against Daniel concerning the kingdom, but they could find none occasion nor fault for as much as he was faithful. Neither was there any error or fault found in him. Then said these men, we shall not find any occasion against this Daniel except we find it against him concerning the law of his God. Now, you're familiar with the story. This is just before Daniel gets tossed in the lion's den. But Daniel has been set up as an administrator whose job was to watch basically lower ranking administrators. And he was to make sure that they were being faithful to do what the king wanted them to do. And he was doing such a good job that the, the king was thinking about promoting Daniel above the other senior administrators. And I think the picture 
of him being over the whole realm is kind of like that of Joseph. You know, Joseph was taken out of prison and he was elevated to the place where only Pharaoh had more authority and more power than Joseph did. I think that's where Daniel was about to be promoted. Well, these other people who had seen Daniel thrive all of these years in Babylon were tired of it. And they began to say, we're going to have to find something against him or he's going to be our boss. I don't like that guy. I don't want him to be our boss. We're going to have to find a way for him to fail. So they watched him. And they sought how he did his business, how he worked, how he did the king's business for the king. And what they found was there is no occasion for fault because he was faithful. The only way they were going to be able to find fault against Daniel is if they could find a way to pit the king against David's God or Daniel's God. And that would be the only issue they could bring up. And so this is a a practical example of faithfulness. Daniel maintained a faithful witness, a faithful employee before the king. And part of, I think, what we should learn from this is if we're going to be faithful like Daniel, then we, we ought to be the best employees that our bosses have. We ought to, to be the most dependable people on the job. We should exemplify this type of faithfulness because we are disciples of Jesus and we are His representatives and His ambassadors everywhere we go. And if we are living Spirit-filled, Spirit-led lives, we will be faithful employees on the job. And then finally, we must be faithful to Jesus even unto death. Now this one, I'll admit, is challenging. And it shows us the radical kind of discipleship Jesus calls us to. To truly follow Christ requires we follow Him no matter what. We follow Him when it's popular and everybody loves it. But we also follow Him when it's unpopular and everybody hates it. And here's how radical it is. Jesus writing the letters to the seven churches, He says to the church at Smyrna, and to the angel of the church at Smyrna write, these things saith the first and the last, which was dead and is alive. I know thy works and tribulation and poverty, but thou art rich. I know the blasphemy of them which say they are Jews and are not, but are the synagogue of Satan. For none of these things which uh, fear, none of these things which thou, sh- thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison, that you may be tried, and you shall have tribulation ten days. Be thou faithful unto death. I will give thee a crown of life. The church of Smyrna was being heavily persecuted. It was deep. It was abiding. It was affecting every area of their lives. They were beaten. They were imprisoned. They were mocked by society. They were fired from their jobs. And the level of persecution had increased to the place where they, because of their loss of jobs, nobody would hire them. They were poor. Right? And they were, it says they, they're poverty. Now, the word for poverty that's used there doesn't mean that they couldn't buy the new iPhone 11 with three cameras. It, it meant they, they were destitute. They, they didn't have food. They, didn't have, they couldn't pay their bills. They, they were destitute, completely broke. And on top of that, they were being harmed. They were being mocked. People were walking into their house, taking their stuff, and what passed for the law of the day would do nothing about it. And most people, if they knew, uh, didn't care how they were treated and kind of felt like they deserved it. They felt that they were disloyal to the empire. In fact, that was one of the main things that the Christians, problems Christians have. 
uh, in, in this time, emperor worship was the main form of worship that was demanded and expected of the people. And as a, a test of loyalty and a test of devotion to the emperor and to Rome, they were required once a year or so to go to a temple of Caesar. They were to take a pinch of incense. They were to toss it on the fire. And they were to say, Caesar is Lord. And if they did that, they would be kind of given a piece of paper that showed that they were loyal devoted, patriotic Roman citizens, and then they could go on about their lives. But if they wouldn't do that, they didn't have that piece of paper, they, they were not considered loyal, and they were considered as dissidents, and they were people were skeptical of them, people thought they were trying to cause trouble, and so nobody cared. Now, the Christians did not do that. They could not do that. They could not go and burn a pinch of incense and say Caesar is Lord because they knew Jesus was Lord. So they were considered to be disloyal. Uh, They were considered to be atheists because they didn't believe in a multitude of gods. They believed that there was only one God. His name wasn't Zeus or Jupiter or Athena. His name was Jesus. So they're suffering. And as Jesus sends them this letter... He tells them, I see, and I know how bad it is. And then he says, it's going to get worse. The devil is about to cast some of you into prison. The picture is, it is going to get worse. And then his encouragement to them is not to go burn a pinch of incense and and just don't mean it in your heart. His encouragement to them isn't back up or let up or shut up. His encouragement is be faithful unto death. If you come to the place where they say deny Jesus or die, choose death. Be faithful to me even if it costs you your life. From what we know of church history, that is exactly what they did. They they died for the cause of Christ. And that's the kind of faithfulness that we are called to in our devotion to Jesus. Now, in America, at this particular point in history, we are not going to be called to be faithful unto death, probably. I mean, we're, we're not going to die. But we are going to be unpopular. And it's going to get increasingly unpopular to stand where we stand to believe what we believe about Jesus and sexuality and gender issues and all of those other things. And there will be a temptation to burn that pinch of incense to Caesar. To to say, if they say, do you believe homosexuality is a sin? Do you believe abortion is wrong? The temptation is going to be to say with our mouths, no, I don't. But to believe in our hearts, yes, it is. Because that way it will kind of keep me from being harmed or having issues. And make no mistake, that's idolatry. That's burning incense to Caesar. That is unfaithfulness to Christ. We must be faithful regardless of the consequences. And if we are spirit-filled and spirit-led, we we will be. Now, the question is, how do we develop this kind of faithfulness? Because all of the fruit have, there's what it is, there's the Holy Spirit at work, but then there's also our part. So what can we do? And quickly, we have three really quick ways to develop this kind of faithfulness. The first is live as God's steward. Remember, in several areas, we were taught 
that we are to be stewards. And now a steward is essentially a manager. We would call a manager in our day. The purpose of a steward is to manage what has been given to them by another. One of the key realizations of a steward is that nothing they have is actually theirs. It belongs to another. Right? It would be like if Scott were the manager of the bank, the general manager of the bank. He manages, he does that, but the money itself doesn't belong to him. If you're the manager of Walmart, you're, you're responsible for what goes on there, but the stuff itself, it's not yours. You're not the owner. In a similar way, everything we have is a gift from God. Our lives, our money, our time, our relationships, our gifts, our abilities, our access to God's Word, our freedoms, all of these things are gifts God has given to us and they belong to God. Therefore, we are meant to manage His stuff and manage it well. Right? And what was the, the key thing that a steward had to be? Faithful. How, how do things change if you see it as not yours but belonging to God? My dad used to tell me if we borrowed something from someone else, my dad would not let us treat what we borrowed from someone else as less than ours. In fact, he always told us if you borrow from someone, you treat it like it's mine. Don't even treat it like it's yours because you treat your stuff terrible. And so we were to be very careful with what we had that belonged to someone else that we were using. If they were kind enough to let us have it or use it, we were to treat it well. We didn't leave it out in the yard in the rain. We didn't toss it around. We didn't lose it. And that's kind of the picture we're supposed to have of all that we have. It's not ours. It's not ours to waste. It's not ours to throw away. It's God's. It's a gift He's given us. And we are His stewards with His stuff. So we must live as God's stewards. And a part of living as a steward is living to fulfill God's expectations. But everything God has given to us, He has given to us for a reason. Our job is to find that reason. And then to, to use what God has given us in the way He wants them to use, to be used. But we, we must live to fulfill God's expectations and not anyone else's. Again, with the steward. The steward is given stuff and he is expected to do stuff. Right? When someone is made a manager of a Walmart, the Walmart Corporation has expectations from them. Here's what you are to do with what we have given you in that store. Do it this way. I don't care what Kmart does. I don't care what Target does. I don't care what anyone else does. You do what we expect from you. And that's the way God is. He has given us this stuff and He expects us to use it in the way that He wants it to use. His expectations are the only ones that matter. And so, we live as God's steward. We live to fulfill God's expectations. And that leads to the final way we develop faithfulness in how we live. We live in light of accountability. We live in light 
of accountability. Many in our day have built a God in their own mind that says, do whatever you want. It's okay with me, I don't care. And the sad thing is, many of these people are professing believers in Jesus. They would affirm the importance of repentance, of sin, and belief in Jesus Christ for salvation. But they have convinced themselves that once you repent, once you believe, life is essentially a free-for-all. Now, they would probably admit it's okay to live in sin. But as long as you're not living in sin, you just do whatever it is you want to do. The God that they've created in their own mind would not hold them accountable for how they live in their everyday ordinary lives. They've created a God who would not hold them accountable for their faithfulness or their lack of faithfulness. The problem is that God does not resemble the God of the Bible. Scripture teaches clearly there is a day when God will call us to give an account on the way we've lived our lives and how we've used what's, what He has given us. Right? And part of what's important to remember about this day of accountability is the way it's pictured in Scripture. Right? It's not pictured as a group standing before God. It's pictured as an individual standing before God. I remember the, the parable of the talents from Matthew 25. The master calls his servants to them. He gives them talents that he, in accordance with their ability, what he knows they can use well. He then goes on and the expectation is they will take what belongs to the master and they will use it in the way he expects. And there comes a time at a later date when he comes back and he calls his servants in. And the picture in the, in the story isn't that he calls the group in. It said he calls one at a time in. You, tell me what you did. I took your five, I earned five more. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. The next one. I, I took your two and I earned two more. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Calls the next one. I, I took your one, but I was afraid of you. I was afraid because I know you're a hard man, so I buried it and I hid it in the earth. So here's your one talent. I didn't do what you expected. And the master says, you wicked and lazy servant. He says, you'll be cast into outer darkness where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now Jesus told that parable and essentially said, this is how the kingdom of God works. So the picture is on the day when we give an account to Jesus for our lives and our faithfulness, it, it will be just me and God. And it will be just you and God. And at this point, at this point for me, it won't matter how faithful my mom thought I was. It won't matter how faithful my wife thought I was. It won't matter how faithful my neighbors thought I was. It won't matter how faithful my best friend thought I was. All that will matter is how faithful God knew I was. And it will be the same for you. See, nobody else's opinion on that day is going to matter. If you were to say, am I faithful? I could give you an opinion. But that's all it would be. Because on that day, God's not going to say, Stacy, what did you think of Scott's faithfulness? Was he faithful enough? See, he don't care about my opinion. 
It's just going to be Scott and God. It's going to be me and God. It's going to be you and God. Now think about how, how absolute that day of accountability is. Me and God. You and God. And in that day, God is going to make manifest, make clear how faithful we actually were. Right? So all of the excuses maybe I, I might give as to why I've not been faithful if I haven't been. That those are going to seem foolish in the face of almighty, omniscient God. I'm not going to be able to say, well, there was stuff I did that you didn't see. I'm not going to be able to say, well, you don't know all the stuff that happened on the back burner that no one was able to be aware of. We're not going to be in any way be able to make ourselves appear more faithful than we actually were. What we actually did is going to be visible and accurately seen before us. And I find that to be a credibly challenging thought. So we have to let the idea of accountability sink into our hearts and minds. Because when we don't recognize we're accountable to God for our faithfulness, we won't be faithful. Now, here's what will happen. We'll be faithful in areas we like. Because again, everybody's, most everybody's faithful in something. Very few people are completely unfaithful at everything. So if I don't live in light of accountability, here's what I'll do. I'll be faithful to these things I like to do. And this stuff that I don't do, or that I don't like, or that's difficult, I won't be faithful. And then I'll justify it. Yeah, but look how faithful I am here. That makes up for my lack of faithfulness there. And if I'm just telling you about it, I probably could convince you of that. And you could probably convince me of that. But in the end, it's not you or me we're trying to convince. It's the omniscient God who has seen and knows. So if I live in light of accountability, I'll do the stuff I like. But I'll do the stuff I don't like as well. I'll do the stuff that's easy, but I'll do the stuff that's hard as well. If I live my life knowing God will hold me accountable for how I use all He has given me, that would truly motivate me to be faithful in every area of my life. And I'm going to close with a story I think powerfully illustrates what a faithful life looks like. A lady once asked John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist Church, Suppose he knew he were to die at midnight tomorrow. How would he spend the intervening time? His reply. Why, madam, just as I intend to spend it now. I would preach this evening at Gloucester and again at five tomorrow morning. After that, I would ride to Tewksbury, preach in the afternoon, meet the societies in the evening. I would then go to Reverend Martin's house who expects to entertain me. Talk and pray with the family as usual. Retire to my room at 10 o'clock. Commend myself to my Heavenly Father. Lie down to rest. And wake up in glory. Could we say we are this faithful to God. That we are absolutely doing so much of what He would have us to do. That if we knew we would die tomorrow. We would just press ahead as we are. Because of our certainty of our faithfulness. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you tonight. You are great and awesome. You are worthy of our praise and worthy of our devotion. God, us, Lord, that we would be faithful. Help us to understand the idea of accountability, to, to let that, Lord, compel us 
uh, Lord, because we, we do want to hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Take what we've learned tonight, challenge us, strengthen us, encourage us, help us to be faithful. Let the Holy Spirit work in our lives. Let Him produce this faithfulness in us. Let us live for Your glory in all things. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.